It's cold in here. It really is. It really is. It's about 40 degrees. I feel it. Um, if, you, uh, if you have a jacket on, you can take it off. You want me to set the precedent? I, I'll take off the jacket. Uh, that's what we'll do. So you can go ahead and take off your jacket if you're hot today. Ladies, if you don't have anything else underneath that jacket, keep it on. <laughs> this week, uh, my wife and I were in, in New York, and um, she had a conference, and uh, I just had fun. So... Um, it was a great time. We got back last night, or I should say this morning, about 2.15, uh, which is great. There's no traffic between Charlotte and Morganton and Newland and, uh, and Elizabethton at 2 o'clock in the morning. It's great. The only thing on the road, uh, well, there is one still on the road. It's a possum that I hit somewhere around Rome Mountain, but uh, it's great to be back. But having gone this week, and we left on Wednesday... And, uh, you know, when you go into, for those of you who have been to Manhattan or been in New York, you know that... Um, you meet all types of people. Uh, you meet people like you, and then you meet people that are sort of not like you. Um, and, I mean, every flavor of every kind of individual you can find, and they're all thrown in to, like, Times Square. And so um, as, I, as I was kind of thinking about uh, some of the things that I, I didn't tell you to ask me yesterday on the plane, is your sermon done? I said, yes. And she goes, what are you speaking on? I said, I don't remember. I don't remember what the scripture was, uh, but I knew that it was on love. Uh, I remember that, that much of it. And uh, I kind of was thinking about it this week as I was traveling. Um, and, you know, whether, whether you're here or whether you travel around, uh, no matter where you go, you meet people that desperately need to be loved. Um, and whether, and, and you know, in, in New York you get the whole conglomerate, you have the people that are so filthy stinking rich that it's pathetic, uh, and then you have the poverty on the street corner, um, and uh, you know, they're begging, and then you go and you'll see someone that, uh, actually there was one gentleman that, I, that we saw the, the first day, uh, had a box on his head and he says, I'm, I'm looking for some money, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting some weed, that's what I want, uh, and so he had this covering over his head so you couldn't be identified who he was, and he says, I'm taking up money to support my weed habit. Uh, and I, I kind of appreciated the fact that he was being honest about it rather than taking my money and saying it was for the poor. Uh, he was taking my money and saying it was for his marijuana uh, addiction or so to speak. But a, as you intertwine, and I mean for me, it's kind of being thrown in the midst of a, a cultural phenomenon um, in, in Manhattan. You, everywhere you go, there are people who need to be loved. Whether they are rich or poor, uh, whether they have a lot or they have nothing, whether they are educated or whether they're not, whether they're hot or whether they're cold, they're in the need of love. Maybe some of you today who've come here have experienced a broken heart and what it means to have a broken heart and you've wanted to be loved, you've wanted to experience what love could bring and you've looked for love in, in various places and in different avenues and streets and you've traveled down this and traveled down that and at every time that you've turned you've realized you've not found what you were looking for. You found something that you thought would satisfy you but in the end it's left you wanting more and more and more and so you are not able to get that hunger and that thirst quenched for love. Well, today, as we look in 1 John, we run into a passage of Scripture that speaks volumes about love. And this love is not, you know, you know in the New Testament, there are four different words for love. Uh, we only have one. We might say, gosh, I love chocolate, or gosh, I love to travel, or 
gosh, I love my wife or I love my, uh, my, my children. We use the same word to convey those types of emotions. And yet the, the spectrum of what love conveys is vast. It's huge. I mean, we say we like things or we love things and we use the same word to describe them. Uh, just those things that don't matter as well as those things that are the dearest things to our heart. We'll use the same word to convey it. That's why words don't have meaning. Words have usage. And in our particular day and time, love has lost its effect. I mean, we think, and uh, it's one of these things that my wife and I kind of, we kind of boycott. You have this thing called Valentine's Day, and you do these Valentine's cards, and this pink, and this red, and all these, this junk, and Hallmark goes ballistic because they make all this money, and, and all this stuff. Tabby and I wear black, uh, I cannot stand Valentine's Day. We've always done this since college. Uh, we, we've always, we, we wear black on Valentine's Day. We do not celebrate Valentine's Day. Now, our kids, you know, we, we don't want them to think that we are all against love, so we do celebrate it for them. But the idea that I'm going to give my wife something special on Valentine's Day, and this day is more important than any other day, and her love for me is more important that day than any other day, is just absolutely Ridiculous. Love has become a commodity that we buy. We buy things to express how much we love people rather than giving people, sacrificing for people, submitting to one another. You see, the New Testament speaks a lot about love, but very rarely does it demonstrate its love in things, in things given. I mean, we're getting ready to approach this holiday season, and, and Times Square loves it. I mean, Macy's loves it. Saks Fifth Avenue loves it. All the stores are getting ready for Christmas. They're putting out their windows, and Saks Fifth Avenue has this huge debut of their windows. November 20, I think Monday, November 24th is what I saw, and and people will come, people will actually fly into the city just to view these windows. And it's all to celebrate the Christmas holiday season, not to celebrate the birthday of the king, but it's to celebrate the Christmas holiday season. So why? We can make money off of it because you and I both know that we have to buy things for people in order to show people how much we love them. The New Testament and its understanding of love was not about buying things. It was about demonstrating. It was about sacrifice. It was about commitment. The very things that I believe keeps families together, the very thing that I believe keeps marriages together, commitment, sacrifice, submission. And but when I, I'm not going to venture off on the submission thing, but let me just, let me just say this a second. When I speak of submission, I have, I have some, some guys in here smiling right now. I just want to let you know, when I talk about submission, I'm talking about what are you doing for your wife? That's what I'm talking about. Not what your wife's doing for you. Not about her submitting to your authority. Because if, if you're one of those smiling, you're thinking that you know, you're in charge. I'm here to tell you, you're not in charge. You need to hang it up, buddy. I'm just here to, I'm just here to tell you to be plain. Because here's the thing. God's role for marriage, God's role for relationships is that you as a couple would submit to each other. That you would love each other. That you would sacrifice for each other. And gentlemen, it has always amazed me. It's always amazed me as, as, I, as I do men's ministry or whatnot. Every man, and I'm going I'm to keep this G-rated. Every man wants his wife in the evening. But what I found is that many men 
Their wife serves their mother in the morning, but they want a wife in the evening. You can't have your wife be your mama in the morning and expect her to be your spouse in the evening. You have got, you and I have got to give this idea that love compels us to sacrifice. And when you and I talk about Christmas or the holidays, it's not about what you buy your wife. It's not about what you buy your children. Uh, women, it's not what you buy your husband. It's not what you buy your kids. It's about the time, the essence, the sacrifice that you give to those relationships that makes it worth it. The New Testament, particularly in, particularly in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 14, the Bible says this. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. So therefore, you and I have got to make love our distinguishing characteristic as followers of Jesus Christ. As Christians, you and I have to make love the distinguishing characteristic of the expression of our faith. Notice it doesn't say in verse 14 of 1 John chapter 3 that... We know that we have passed from death to life when we buy something for someone else. Love doesn't just encompass your pocketbook. Love devours who you and I are or who we are before God, who we are in our relationship with God. Love is the defining characteristic. So if you want to give somebody a demonstration, you want to give somebody the greatest gift that you can give as we approach this holiday season, it's not going to be what you can charge on a charge card. It's not going to be what you can buy. It's going to be what you can give as love becomes a distinguishing characteristic of your relationship. Love should define us as followers of Jesus. Now, so let me just stop there and ask you this question. What distinguishes you and me from other people? What distinguishes us today? Uh, is it the way you dress? Is the way you dress your defining characteristic? Do people know you because of the way you dress, the fashions that you wear, the way that you carry yourself? Is that what distinguishes you? Or are you known by whom you spend your time with? That is what distinguishes you. It's the people that you hang around, the certain crowd that you or with, is that how you are defined in this world in which we live? Or perhaps it's the organizations that you belong to. The distinguishing characteristic of your life are the organizations. It could be your job that you work. Maybe that's how you define yourself. Perhaps it's the social organizations that you're a part of. And those are the things that people know you by. How many of you could say today that the distinguishing characteristic of your life is that you are a follower of Jesus Christ? And that's what you're known for. I don't think anybody got real quiet real quick. I don't think any of us have that type of reputation. I also, and I think there's varying reasons for that. One is we're not living up to the mark. The other reason is our culture is not geared to appreciate these things. Why? Because the world chases after things that will not last. And God's call for the Christian, the follower of Jesus, is to chase things that are going to live long after 
we are. I've told the story before. Uh, I was at a church and they were concerned about the legacy that they were going to live. And I was t- we were kind of, uh, we were having a senior adult Sunday or senior adult lunch. And one of them said, you know, I'm going to leave X amount of dollars to this. And I would like to have this room with my name on it or whatnot. And, and let me say this. I think it's great when you choose to remember the church in your state. That's a wonderful thing to do. It's a way to kind of plan for the future for the church. But I don't want you to ever think that a monetary amount or something that you donate to First Baptist Church or any other church for that matter is going to be your legacy. Your legacy is not the monetary sum that you give to an organization. Your legacy is your commitment that long outlasts you. So I ask you, what is your distinguishing? What is our distinguishing characteristic? The New Testament says our distinguishing characteristic needs to be love. Love is what should define us. Then in verse 17, the Bible says, If any one of you has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in you? In other words, love people and use Things. Love people and use things. We often love things and use people in order to get things rather than loving people and using things. God gave us the ability to have things, and things are wonderful. But things are to be used, people are not. And some of you, it doesn't matter what profession, whether you're in education or whether you work for another corporate conglomerate, whatever it is, whether you work at Walmart or Ingalls or wherever it is that you you happen to work, even in school or whatnot, there is a a certain thing. and, And here's the thing, in your organization that you're a part of, I guarantee you that you can cite examples of how that organization uses people and values things rather than valuing people and using things. You say, well, I, yeah, I, I see that in the world. I don't see a mark. I don't see a, I don't see a huge difference. It's because the world is not the one that should make the standard for our lives. When you and I are expecting to get sound doctrine from Dr. Phil or sound doctrine from Oprah or sound doctrine from the latest, greatest New York Times best-selling book rather than God's book, which predated all of us, which stands, which is the truth, the Bible doesn't doesn't contain the truth. It is the truth. Whether you and I choose to endorse it is absolutely irrelevant. It stands alone. It does not need our defense. It does not need a proof. You can throw anything you want to against it. It will continue to stand because the word is living, breathing. It's a double-edged sword and it cuts to the heart of the matter. And the heart of the matter is, folks, that we, you and me, have to be defined by love. It should be the one Thing that we wear above all else. It should distinguish us from all other people. You and I should love people rather than loving things. And that's a very hard pill to swallow for those of us in this country where what do we want for Christmas? Things. We want that next fashion. We want that pocketbook. We want that suit. We want that tie. We want this trip. We're not going to, you know, I've, I've, I've heard people say, we're not going to give anything to each other this Christmas. We're just going to take a nice vacation. You're still giving it. You're giving each other things. It's, a, it's a, a trip. It's kind of an experience. Love people, use 
things. The failure to provide help to those around us is a tangible sign that God's love is not in us. Here's an indictment on First Baptist Church. These boxes last year, I've been told that you took up how many Charlotte? 30, 40? Let's be liberal. You had 50 boxes last year. 50 boxes. WMU is going to pay the $7 that typically is charged. All you have to do is go to the Dollar Tree, take this box. The box is there. We can get them for you. Take this box, go to the Dollar Tree, fill it up with goodies, nothing that's military, nothing, things that are encouraging, things that are lovely, whatever, and you bring it back, and then we worry about getting. Listen, there's no reason that a church of 300 couldn't do 600 of those boxes. There's no reason in a church this size that when we do a, a mission and offering for the Lottie Moon Christmas offering that goes out to do international missions that funds 5,000 missionaries. Do you realize we have 3,654 people waiting to go on the mission field to share the gospel that you and I look at as a commodity that we take for granted each week. Over that many people are waiting on the lines. There's not enough money to send them. When we have a when we have a plan for our budget, when we have a plan for our missions, there's no reason this church couldn't give thirty or forty thousand dollars to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Why do we put a limit on what you and I can do? Here, here's why. Because when you and I are the determining factor of what we can do, we will never be able to soar above the heavens. But when you and I trust God, when you and I come with our resolve and we say, you know what, I'm not going to put a limit on what God can do, and then God moves the mountains for us. That's the type of faith commitment that you and I have got to embody in our relationships. We have to be defined by love. You want to talk about love? You want to send a Valentine's card? Here's how you demonstrate your love. You pick up a box, you fill it, and it goes around the world to children. And I've been, I've been around the world where these boxes are given out. These boxes are taken up. They're not given necessarily at Christmas time. When I was in Rwanda in the middle of August last year, Operation Christmas Child came in and they deliver boxes. They deliver boxes year round. They don't just do it on Christmas Day. So you and I, by taking our time to walk five or six blocks or drive five or six blocks down to the dollar store, maybe spend 10 bucks filling that box, giving it to a child, which all they, and I can only speak for where I've been, in Rwanda, all they have to do is they make dolls out of banana leaves. That's all they have. You go to the Dollar Tree and you buy one of those insignificant toys, those things that really don't matter. You wouldn't dream of buying those things for your own family and give them for Christmas. But it changes a life because they see that there is a correlation between your faith in Jesus, your love for God, and your extension of that love to other people. And the same is true with the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. When you and I give money, it's, listen, if you're just going to write a check just to write a check, please keep your money. And that goes for any ministry here. Now, the finance committee is going to have, going to be in turmoil doing like PR this afternoon about what I mean by this. I, I'm, just being, I'm just being frank. If, if you're writing a check just because you're in the habit of doing so, keep it. I want you to be intentional intentionally committed to the life and ministry of First Baptist Church. I don't want you to put a limit on what you give to God because let me tell you something, you and I will never be able to pay back to God what God has so freely given to us. 
You and I can be demonstrators of God's love when love defines who we are in our person. Love people and use things. We not, we not only are supposed to love in words, but we love in action, in our behavior, in what we value. We have a responsibility as a church to meet the needs of, peop- of people. Let me get political here. The job of taking care of people is not the government. The mandate by Jesus was not the government should do that. The mandate was the church should care for the people. The government's attitude should be, and has been, and even even Jesus speaks this, if you want food, work. There should be no just free giving. Just, you know, we're going to continue to embrace you. We're going to continue to support you. We're going to continue to entitle you to continue to live like you've always lived. No, we want you to be better than what you can be today. We want you to be more financially secure than what you find yourself today. And you're not going to get that when you merely are getting something in the mail. You and I, when we become radical followers of Jesus, when Jesus fully embodies who we are, when love penetrates the deepest parts of our being, the deepest part of our, our livelihood of making decisions and of thoughts, then we'll recognize, we'll see the needs of people. We'll recognize the needs of people. We won't merely pray about the needs of people, but we will meet the needs of people. That is why the church is the body of Christ. The church is the body of Christ, is a hospital where people's needs are met. Anybody should be able to come to First Baptist Church or, or, or First Presbyterian Church or any church, any church that calls on the name of Christ. They should be able to come into that place, assemble in that place, and have their needs met. It's the calling of God for the church. And it happens when we're defined by the love we talk about rather than merely wishful thinking of a love we speak about. Then finally, verse 24 of the passage says, Those who keep his commands live in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. In other words, live in Christ and love through Christ. The telltale sign that we are followers of Jesus is not, and here, understand this, it is not being theologically sound. The telltale sign that we are followers of Jesus is about the tangible demonstration of our love. And a tangible demonstration of the love that we received in and through Christ and as we embrace community. God has called us not just to call people to repentance. And that's our ultimate, I mean, that's our ultimate thrust in evangelism and, and gospel sharing is that people come to Christ and they turn from the life that they've lived. They turn away from the evil that once was or the evil that's inherent in their lives and they turn toward Christ and they travel towards him and they pursue him with everything they are. They surrender everything to him. That is the mandate of the church. And as you and I do that, as we, as we call people to repentance, as we share the gospel, the other side of the coin is that we love them. We don't love them because of what they're going to be. We love them because who 
they are. You say, well, who they are, they're a lost person. Exactly. We love them because Christ first loved us. We love them because they are worth loving. How do I know they're worth loving? They're worth loving because they were worth dying for. Jesus died for them. He demonstrated his love for them and demonstrated his love for us in the act of the cross. Jesus didn't just speak about love. Jesus embodied love. How do I know that? Because the Bible is the truth and the Bible says God is love. And if you've seen me referring to Jesus, you have seen the Father. To see the Father is to see Jesus. To see the Father, to see Jesus is to see the embodiment of love. This love that we speak about, the love that should be our distinguishing characteristic, the love that we should have for people rather than for things, and the finally that we live in Christ and love through Christ. We know we are living in Christ when we are living in His Spirit. In other words, we know that we are living in Christ when our fellowship of Jesus is not just a Sunday event. We're living in a spirit which means that it is continual action. We are continually growing in him. We are continually growing in our love for him. And God's love is continuing to be demonstrated in our life, in our situation, in our decisions. As we embrace people, as we love people, as we call people into the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Because here again, folks, we can love people, we can't save them. The one thing that you and I can do that God has called us to is to love people. God will save them. It's our job to love them. Not to love them as a righteous person, but to love them as an unrighteous person. Let me tell you something. When you go, when you go into a cultural phenomenon like New York, and those of you who have been there, you know this, it's like a Brunswick stew. I walked into the Sephora. Do you know what Sephora is? It's a makeup studio. We go into, and, I, and Tabby's with me. And I look at this person sitting in the chair getting makeup on, and I said, Tabby, is that a guy? And she goes, shh. I said, is that a guy? She's like, can you, can you, can you just calm down? I mean, it, you really want to draw, I cannot believe there's a guy sitting in the chair. I mean, and, and it, gosh, he was beautiful. <laughs> I mean, I mean, that makeup, art, but I, I look at that, and I'm thinking, now, I don't understand this. I guess that's a good thing. Uh, but as I as I yeah. <laughs> um, as I'm standing there, I'm thinking. I wonder if he goes to church. I wonder where his mom is today. I wonder where his father is today. I wonder if they know he's here in this place. I mean, there were thousands of people in the store, and he's sitting right there in the center. Getting royal treatment with Bobby Brown, I guess is what it was. And I thought, I bet you the church is irrelevant to his circumstance. Not because the church is irrelevant, but because we have not made ourselves relevant to his life. Why? Because you and I love loving people that are like us. We find it great, great difficulty to love people that are different from us. I'm going to tell you a couple of weeks ago. You hired a, a minister of students. A minister of youth. 
You will not find somebody in, in, in my life, and I'm, you know, I don't want his head to swell and pop, but in my life, there are a few people that I've found that are willing to go up to people and talk about Jesus as confidently, as smoothly, and as naturally as Chris does. And if you've never done that, I, you know, it's one of the things that I want him to teach me how to do that better. But the other thing is this, he has a passion for students, has a passion for God, but his ability is, and I've said this to him, is I love the fact that you're able to connect with people that are not necessarily like you. You and I have got to be able to find our niche and be able to connect with people that don't look like us, that don't act like us, that don't live like us, that don't live the holy lives, and I say holy in quotes, holy lives that we live that are mired up and fouled up. And even when there's a guy sitting in a cosmetic booth and he's getting makeup and he looks like he's dressed to the nuns, let me tell you something, the God of this universe who saved you is a God who loves him. And the job of the church is not to judge him, it's not to ridicule him, the job of the church is to love that gentleman as, as we love all people. And here's the thing. When you and I allow love to take precedence in our lives, when we see people like that gentleman, we won't look at his defining situation. We will look and we will say with confidence, he was worth dying for. You and I were worth dying for. God gave and paid a humongous price. His one and only son. And it's so sad. Because even in the 300 plus million people in this country. There are still so many who do not see the church as a place of sanctuary and love, but see the church as a place of judgment and wrath. Let me tell you why they see it that way. Because Christendom has not been defined by the love that is so inherent and so lived in in the person of Jesus. Christendom has not been defined by the love of the cross. Christendom has been defined by people who have wanted to pursue Jesus with their lips, but who have denied them, denied him with their choice in life. I want First Baptist Church Elizabethan to embrace the God of the cross, to embrace the love of Christ on the cross, and to embrace people. You say, well, Todd, that's going to make us a progressive church that is going to leave some of our conservative values. That might make us what some would potentially perceive us to be liberal. Let me be very clear on this. Our fellowship of Jesus is absolutely our greatest cause. There will be times where you will look at me and you'll say, Gosh, you're pretty conservative whatever. There'll be times that you'll look at me and say, gosh, he's pretty liberal, whatever. Because I'll tell you this, Jesus Christ was very liberal when it came to grace. He dished out grace, and it wasn't cheap grace. It was costly grace. Costly grace that called people to repentance, but embraced them where 
they were. You're in our position has to be this as we demonstrate God's love in closing. We love people regardless of the circumstances. And let me, let me go and, and use this example in New York at Sephora. It is very hard for me as a male to love another male who is sitting at a makeup counter. It's just hard to do. There's a lot of things in our lives that are hard to do. But when you and I come to the realization that God loves that individual, that God has the potential to radically save that individual, to transform that individual's life just as he has transformed ours, we don't get to decide who gets the grace and who gets the love. That's the problem with Christendom. God's grace is freely given to all who would receive it. We don't get to decide who's in and who's out. It's not our job to decide, well, they're inside or they're outside. No, it's God's. It's his church for his glory. So I ask you this. Is love, Christ's love, your distinguishing characteristic? Don't be so worried about what people think about you, about whether you're liberal or conservative. I frankly don't care. <laughs> because at the end of the day, I just want people to say, you know what, he's a follower of Christ. That makes me liberal. That makes me conservative. The question is, does it make me a radical follower of him? radical follower of Jesus what defines you his love or all these other things that I've mentioned God loves you he loves his church he loves his people he loves the world this season as we enter into the holidays let us think about what we value the things that we value rather than the people that we need to seek. And let us ask this pivotal question. Is love the distinguishing characteristic of my life? Will you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for this morning. We wish it was a little bit cooler in here. But God... We come to you in this time of invitation and we say, Lord, the things I've heard this morning, the scripture, it's kind of stretched my thinking or it's stretched my understanding of how much we should embody your love and the love of Jesus. And maybe there's someone here this morning that said, that said you know what, for so long I have been one of those people that have, have sat by and I've kind of tried to determine who's in and who's out. And I've been one of those grace givers and I decide who gets it and who doesn't. And Lord, I come today and I confess to you that it was not my grace to decide. It was yours. So maybe there's someone here who needs to confess that. Maybe there's someone else here today that says, gosh, I've, I've been in church for some time and I've been, I've been listening and I've been hearing and I've tried different churches and different places and, 
And I've never felt like I, that I've been a lovable individual and I've always wanted to get my life in order. And I felt like I need to look a certain part or dress a certain way or say certain things that, that sound good and kind of give me kind of the in, so to speak, into this uh, Christian fellowship. And today I've realized, Lord, that it's not about how I look. It's not about how I talk. It's about the love that you demonstrated on the cross and whether that love is my defining characteristic. Maybe today there's some that want to make the love of Christ their defining characteristic. And today could be one of their defining moments. Or perhaps there's someone here today that needs to trust in Christ for the first time. Maybe somebody that needs to recommit. There's so many needs and so many issues present in this place, in this hour. God, you know each one according to their need. We pray, Lord, that you would find us faithful that the love of Jesus Christ, which you demonstrated on the cross and in the cross and through the cross, would define our motivation, define our decisions, define our lives, the relationship that we have with our spouse, the relationship that we have with our kids. Lord, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your service to us and the sacrifice that you've given. And this invitation is, Lord, as we respond, may your Holy Spirit just be unleashed continually in this place, continually drawing people into a relationship and into your presence. And Lord, may we be aware that we have encountered the holy presence of Almighty God in this moment together, in this place as we've assembled here. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you're here this morning, I'm just simply ask you this. If you prayed, if, that, if those, those ideas related to you well, if you feel compelled, if you feel like that you've not really understood the love of Christ and now you have a better understanding of that, or God's been moving in your life this week, whatever the circumstances might be, and it's His will for you to make that public, we want to give that opportunity and this invitation. Uh, and the other thing is this, that when you walk down the aisle, it's actually cooler when you walk than if you just simply sit still in this hot place. And, and just so that you know for future, you know, I didn't even preach on sin and hell today. Uh, imagine what it would be like if I had done that. But we want you, listen, in all seriousness, we want you to respond as the Holy Spirit leads. We don't want you to be ahead of Him. We, we don't want you to be behind Him. We want to be right with the Spirit-led direction of God. As we stand, as we respond, won't you come?